So <laughs> I, felt, I felt drawn by the Holy Spirit to, to share with you some insight, some revelation I think God has given me from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9 to the end. It's a, the last paragraph of the Apostle Paul's two-book correspondence with the, to the Corinthian church. There's actually four letters. Two of them are lost to history, but the ones we have... Um, ends with what I'm going to share now. And the, the letter to the Corinthians is a very charismatic church, Pentecostal church, really filled with the spirit, lots of spiritual gifts in operation, but, but several problems that the apostle Paul has to address to correct. And, you know, it rem- ver- this paragraph reminds me very much of a, of a parent who has had to discipline their child and then feels compelled, you know, to give the child a hug or love and assure the child of, of their love and their encouragement and um, their future. It's all for their, it's all good, it's all okay, affirming them and their value. And this is what the Apostle Paul is doing in this last chapter after he's spent a couple books that, although laced with grace and la- laced with encouragement, it, there are the correctives very dominant in those, um, in those uh, uh, books. But he's wanting to really build these uh, friends up in this last paragraph. He uses the word edify, um, edifice. It's like a building. Um, He's saying that God is building you. And we know from other passages that he's probably referencing the fact that even though there was God filled the temple in the Old Testament with his glory, and then that's Solomon's temple, and God filled with his glory the the temple that was built after after the exile, and that uh, we had the temple that King Herod built that the people worshipped in. And, but now the, the temple, the building, the edifice is, uh, is us. We are the ones where the glory resides. We are the ones that are blood-bought into a place where we ourselves as individuals and together experience the fullness of God's glory. We are his house that he's building. And I, uh, the thought struck me about our house, our house that we live in, was built in 1922, 100 years old this year. Been looking forward to this year. And I've, I've often thought, wonder what people were doing in this house, what family was here 60 years ago, 80 years ago, 100 years ago, what was here? And I'm, I'm, I sometimes wonder when I find crazy things in the house, whether the wife um, was upset with the husband concerning what he did in carpentry towards our house. <laughs> And here's an example in, in, our, um, in our dining room. We have a dining room, uh, you know, a place for nice cups, you know, uh, for to be Brenda's nice cups there. But my goodness, what, was he drunk? What? <laughs> Who fixes the cupboard that way? But I, I felt like God was showing me that even though that we are, a, we are his temple and we are his house that he's building, that we definitely have some weaknesses, Right? But you know what? God's not intimidated. Look at me. He's filling your house with life. And your weakness, your weakness is a place for his strength to shine. His strength to flood. In 2 Corinthians 13, there's three major blessings, three major Three big blessings, three major blessings that build us up. 
build the Corinthian church up. He uses the word building spiritually. Paul uses the word completion. I want you to, he says, I'm praying. In just a moment, I'll read it. I'm praying in my apostolic anointing for you guys that you will be complete. I'm praying as if it's all God's responsibility to make you fully complete, completely whole, completely fulfilling your own destiny in God, fulfilling your, who you are at your highest human potential. I'm praying to God that he will do this mighty work in you. And then he turns around in just a moment and he says, in the imperative command mood, I'm praying, but you be complete. He prays as if it's all God's job and he calls on them as if it's all their job. You know what? Those two items work in tandem, don't they? It is God's great work, but he does call us to not be passive, but to lean into wholeness, to lean into the abundant life that Jesus has purchased for us, to lean into a full expression of our own gifts and callings and anointings. First of all, there's the big blessing of Bible reading. I love what Miguel preached last week. He said from in the... In the beginning to the last amen in the book of Revelation, it's all God's word. Hallelujah. Way to go on that, Miguel, and the rest of your message. What a great release of God's word that was. Thank you in that ministry. Well, the Apostle Paul speaks of Bible reading in this passage. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 9. And this also we pray that you may be made complete. Therefore, I write these things. What is he writing? He's writing 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And by, by extension, all the New Testament, we can apply it. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness. I love that. He's basically saying, I'm writing these things, of, I've been writing these things of correction because I can be more calm writing than if I was present, I might lose it and dump on you how I really feel sometimes. And it's that weakness, being afraid of that weakness, that caused him to actually write these two letters that we have in the Bible today that have blessed millions down through the ages. God's showing the Apostle Paul that there were nails in his cupboard and has, isn't it true that in, in some of our relationships that sometimes, you know, sometimes uh, how we express frustration, how we express upsetness, I mean, we might have an airtight case with someone rationally, but how we express it blows the, our, our reasoning out of the water. I speak as a husband. Brenda will testify to the fact that sometimes how I express my airtight reasoning becomes the issue <laughs> instead of my reasoning. <laughs> I just think that'll preach somewhere, somehow, on the road. <laughs> well, that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. So he's writing according, to, uh, okay, being, lest I should use sharpness, according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification. This writing is for edification and not for destruction. 
not to tear you down, not to tear you down, but to build you up. Finally, brethren, farewell. Good preacher talk there, and then he preaches for a while longer. <laughs> then he says, become complete in the imperative mood and be of good comfort. I, there's a lot in that, be of good comfort, because, you know, in that day and age and in our day and age, there's a lot in, in life that can take away from our comfort, isn't there? Sometimes we have to, we have to default to the, to the comforter to get comfort because when we try to have peace using our understanding, we can't find it. So we have to look to the peace that passes understanding and look to the King of kings and Lord of lords upon whose shoulders is the government and whose government and of peace, the increase, sorry, the increase of whose government and of peace, there's no end. So in your life, in the life of your family, in the life of our church family, in the life of our world, not only is Jesus governing supremely and in charge ultimately of everything that happens, he's ultimately filters out everything that needs to be filtered out. He's, he's the Lord of history, but he doesn't cause the bad stuff, not the author of evil, but the increase of his government. His government is actually increasing. And, and, the, and, and peace, of the increase of his peace, there is no end. Do you know that, that God is working an increase of peace in your deepest personhood? Resonating in your inner world, supernatural peace. That's what he's doing. And, and he's doing it, and as, uh, as one of the pastors here, the senior pastor here, I want to appeal to you that in the course of your life, let the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Make a holy habit of defaulting to the comforter because there is, that's where the peace is. It's, it's not in changing your circumstances to, so that you can be peaceful. You know, that person you're trying to change isn't going to change, likely. Um, even if you pray for them, they might not change <laughs> right away. <laughs> you know. Peace I'm talking about, the comfort I'm talking about transcends that. So, reading the Bible, there was a, there was a um, 17th century preacher that I read about. <laughs> it's a Puritan church. He wasn't born again yet. And I don't know how he got called to be the preacher there, but he wasn't born again yet. But he knew that his pastor friends got more success preaching the Bible than giving just, you know, little happy sermons. So he started preaching the Bible. And one time when he was preaching the Bible, suddenly his countenance brightened and his voice tone changed. And someone in the congregation stood up and said, the pastor's been converted right now in his own preaching. <laughs> and he said, yes, it's happened. That's the, that's why, and, and then everybody, everybody clapped and shouted and hurrah, you know, in a Puritan church, <laughs> very powerful. And 20 more people came to Christ that day as a result in that church. I read about that. So, you know, it's a potency of the word. And that's why in our church, we make an emphasis on the Bible. And a lot of the churches here in the Valley make an emphasis on what does the Bible say? Because we like to let the word do the work rather than a certain quality of eloquence or a certain emotion in the tone of our voice. 
there's it's such power in, in Bible reading and in just talking about the Bible, isn't there? So I want, want to very quickly, and I'm going to have to speed this up a bit. I want to very quickly share with you about Bible reading that I personally uh, am going to plan to listen to the Bible th- uh, through in a year, audio. And what I do is I have a notebook with a real fat, heavy, expensive pen that I got for my birthday from one of my kids. And I love that pen. And I, I write down um, as I'm listening stuff that is actually, I don't even identify with, but I recognize that the Bible is a book of testimonies and the, and the, and the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. So what I, I acknowledge and what I note and what I embrace in terms of declaration in terms of, and I go through the list afterwards, and I thank God for this, and I ask him to work it in my life more. But this is the kind of thing, this is a recent, um, recent few things I noted. I wrote, as I was listening, I wrote these things about myself. I, d- I don't believe these necessarily naturally, but I do believe them supernaturally. And sometimes when I don't feel it's true, I just declare them anyway, because in my, my spirit knows they are true. Jesus appears to me. I get the blessing of the resurrected Christ. I am declared right with God. I give thanks with all my heart. The Lord is working out his will in my life. That's just one day. One day recently, (laughs) Elisha had prayed for a kid, and the kid came to life, and the kid sneezed seven times. So I wrote, when I pray for people that are dead, they sneeze seven times and come to life. I mean, you know, that's just that's a testimony that I, you know, I want to I want to uh, suggest that you experiment with that if you don't have a way of making the word come alive, and then spend a few minutes um, calling on God or praising God, doing some meditating on what you write down. I think it's a great plan. Second big blessing, the big blessing of the brothers and the sisters, verse eleven. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be complete, become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And, you know, I I just can't bring myself to do that. I'm sorry. But but I can, like some versions say, shake hands all around. And others say, you know, give give a hug. You know what I mean? There are ways, that's a cultural thing, give a holy kiss. I think in the Middle East they do that even in non-Christian context. But um, the idea is to... Give each other greeting. And even all the saints greet you. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, I'm writing from up here at Philippi this uh, word. And it's several, it's, you know, uh, what, over 100 miles away. Uh, the, the, the church here, is, uh, the saints here are sending greetings to you. They're saying hi. And haven't you noticed that whenever we've had a team from Bethel Reading or different other places that we've had uh, people come and minister, teams minister, isn't it a blessing to mix up the DNA with other groups and it's just a blessing, isn't it, to, to recognize that we, we derive help from other saints and they from us. God's uh, intention is that we recognize and value the great adventure of brotherly love. One of the greatest adventures as a Christian in our lives, all of our lives, is the exploration, the nuances, the, the, the huge, huge blessing of just releasing brotherly and sisterly love in the family of God. I, 
I love this picture of my two, uh, two of Charity's boys. You see if affection there? Now, you know, they're, they're not always that way. <laughs> but you know what? Neither are you. Neither are you, neither am I in the church life, are we? Jesus sometimes related to his disciples like herding cats. I mean, you know, you think of the differences among the disciples. I mean, one was a Judas, a betrayer. Uh, one, was, uh, one was a guy that was a, 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 a political zealot. And uh, one was an IRS worker, a couple fishermen. And, and there were, uh, they just, some, a couple of them thought that they should be the, considered the top disciples. And, you know, there was all kinds of opportunities to learn to mature spiritually by every joint supplies, every, every you know, connectedness. And they spent their three years interacting with each other and with Jesus. And God wants in your life lots of opportunities to interact with your brothers and sisters, the hugs, the handshakes, the good things, but also to not jump ship if there's some kind of stress point. Because Jesus, you can imagine the stress points when they were camping every night for three years. You know, there's, these things happen. These are difficulties. And this is a... The disciples and Jesus lived in community. Through an ongoing interaction with Jesus and each other, they grew spiritually. Is it any surprise that in the Bible, there are so many one another verses? Why are there one another verses? Is he preaching to the choir? Is he just preaching to people that always behave themselves in these areas? I I want to suggest to you that the reason he gives these one another verses is because it's easy to not do these one another attitudes and activities. Let's look at a few of them, just a few of them. There's many more. Accept one another. Love one another. How about this one? Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Don't punish anyone in your heart. Teach one another. How about this one? Esteem one another. Serve one another. These are all invitations to blessings because it's in, in sometimes the opportunities of um, interacting that the blessing comes. John Wimber put it this way. I like how he put it. It is in the process of interacting that we grow. We have to engage to learn to love like Christ loves us. I like what Mother Teresa said. She said, let us always meet each other with a smile, for the smile is the beginning of love. The blessing of reading the word, the blessing of making sure that we have lots of opportunity to, to pilgrim, go on pilgrimage with brothers and sisters in Christ. Small groups, whatever, whatever venue you choose, but make sure that you know, people say you can get lost in the big church. You know, you can get lost in the small church too. Don't be lost, okay? Use your elbows. Three, and finally, the big blessing of the Holy Trinity. Here's the verse. Second Corinthians 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that means the undeserved favor of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, God the Father, 
and the communion, the koinonia, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. The word amen doesn't appear in the Greek language. It is a Hebrew word that's used often in Hebrew. It's a Hebrew word spelt with Greek letters in the New Testament. It's kind of like taco or burrito or something, you know. We use it. We use it to, it's from Spanish. So the Trinity is not, the word Trinity is not used in the New Testament. And I'm going to get theological here, but it's not going to be lengthy, so do your best to stay with me. But it is implicit often in the pages of the New Testament. Here we have the grace of Jesus, the God-man Jesus, the love of God the Father, the communion of the Holy Spirit, three persons in the triune God. 1 Peter 1.2 says you're elect of the Father, you're redeemed by the Son, you're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Implied Trinity. Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized. He's the God-man being baptized. The Holy Spirit shows up like a dove coming down. Like a, I don't think it's a, like an actual bird that came and landed on his shoulder. I think it was, it's just the Spirit came to descend like a dove, just gently came down on him. But it was discernible to everybody. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father spoke. Trinity. Later on in Matthew, it's great. Go into all the world, teach all nations, baptizing them. doesn't say in the names, plural. It says in the name, singular. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always. He was referring not just to the disciples that he was talking to, but down through the ages of the disciples. Jesus is the God-man. There is a progressive revelation of the concept of the Trinity in the Bible. Would you agree with me that if you just read the Old Testament, you get the impression that in contradistinction to all the other nations around Israel, Israel knew there was one creator God. Other nations, lots of gods. One God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Then we come to the Gospels. The, 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 the Jewish people in the, the interactive disciples, the Jewish people that Jesus ministered to, were fiercely monotheistic. But then all of a sudden, they're recognizing something's different about Jesus, and they, they, get to the, they realize he's not only the Messiah, but that he's deity. And then Jesus takes it a step further. And it, by the way, they worship him at the end of Matthew. Do you worship someone who's not deity? And then um, the Holy Spirit, Jesus refers to, and by the way, when I leave, I'm going to send the, the Spirit. I'm going to send you another comforter. So Jesus makes reference to, and then the Apostle Paul develops the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So there's, even in the Bible, in Genesis 1, um, God says, let us make man in our own image. Why does he say us? I, I think it's because he's speaking of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all involved. 
Now, stay with me. There's a huge important application in just a moment. There's a progressive revelation in the Bible of the Trinity, and there's a progressive revelation of the concept of the Trinity in early church history. I'll try to do this in just a couple minutes. In the first two or three centuries of the church, early church after the apostles, they faced a very tough question. They tried to deal with it. How can we believe that Jesus is divine but different than the Father but still believe in one God? Well, how do we handle that? One theory that emerged was that first there was God who morphed into God, first there was God the Father who morphed into God the Son, who morphed into God the Spirit. So there's three modes of the same God. But the problem with that is Jesus prayed to the Father, and he wasn't just talking to himself. Okay? There's a difficulty with that. Another theory that emerged that has amazing application to our day, Jesus is... A guy named Arius said Jesus is very special, but he's not God. He was created before the world was created. He's a created being, but he's not God. And Arius, this, had a, this was hugely popular. I'm going to tell you why. One is Arius was a charismatic leader. Amazing, a strong charismatic personality. Watch out for charismatic leaders that don't preach the truth. Another thing that they, he did as a charismatic leader, Arius, was he, he put his false doctrines into children's songs. Old MacDonald. Jesus Christ is not God. He was created. Or whatever. That's Bingo, the dog's song. Sorry. But you can think of what it might be. I, I hate to even say it because it's blasphemous to... Say, I'm just saying what they, what they taught the kids. And also, they, the, the culture outside the church, the conventional wisdom of the culture outside the church, the modern day culture, was there is one supreme God, but we worship other deities, lesser deities, or lesser gods in order to worship the one God. And so it fit in really easy. Let's not let the world have our, our kids. And let's not go after charismatic leaders that don't preach the truth. And let's beware of a kind of progressive Christianity that embraces the lies and deceptions of the world so that it makes it easy for us to be Christians in a worldly context so we don't look stupid to the world. You know what rescued the day from the, in the Council of Nicaea, the vote was going to come up and everybody thought, you know what, it's going to go with the Arius, which is early, earliest Jehovah Witness theology. A young man in his 20s asked if he could speak. He was a deacon in the church of, in Alexandria. And they said, well, we're not getting anywhere with us old guys talking. Let's see it. Let's let this young guy See what he has to say. He's in his 20s. His name was Athanasius. He got up and very passionately talked about his love for Jesus. And he said, I can never go with this doctrine of Jesus not being God 
because I have to worship him. And if, I've, if he's not God, we can't worship him. He appealed to their experience, and the vote overwhelmingly went in favor of what we enjoy today about Jesus. So I love it that it's not just argument conceptually that won the day, but the experience of Jesus as God that won the day. Um, let's look at the experience that's being appealed to here in first in second Corinthians 13 verse 14 I'm thinking how I want to wrap this up I think I'm going to come I'm going to do that last and David if you'd put up that John Calvin quote listen I don't want to have to qualify my John Calvin quotes all the time by saying why I'm not a Calvinist okay I just believe in eating the meat and tossing the bones, okay? He had some good things to say. I've read the Institutes. There's some good stuff. I disagree with about 80% of what he wrote. But no, not 80%. 50%. But this, this I like. The reality of the Trinity must possess the whole soul and find its place in the inmost recesses of the heart. Augustine put it this way, to fall in love with God is the greatest of all romances. To seek him, the greatest adventure. To find him, the greatest of all accomplishments. A little boy, <laughs> a little boy looked at a picture of his dad and said, I want him to step out of the picture. We don't need concepts about God. We need God. If a little, little boy, a little daughter is crying, does... Does that child need a concept of mother? He needs mom. And that's what this verse, this blessing promises us. I said a Benny Hinn meeting. Oh, no, I'm sorry. But I forgot you there for a second. Sorry. <laughs> 12,000 people in the auditorium. And I watched Benny Hinn. You know, he, I don't think he, like, is trying to be um, selfish or, you know, just pushing himself forward by doing this. I just think he knows he's found out that's what works. He's very pragmatic. Ooh. And the spirit goes and just people fall down and they get healed. And I even watched him go like this. And once took a couple, three guys fell down that had their backs turned to him. This <laughs> is just good. But look at this verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Stay with me. This is the best part. When you and I turn to the Lord Jesus, every single time we turn to the living Lord Jesus Christ, every single time, bar none, he is pouring all kinds of blessings toward us, but the very first thing he blesses us with, undeserved favor. <laughs> Every time you turn to Jesus, undeserved favor, undeserved favor. It's the first thing. He always hits you with undeserved favor every time you praise him, every time you turn to him with a request. Undeserved favor. That's what emanates from him. And he does it on behalf of the Father and the Son and the Spirit too, by the way. Three persons in one essence. So what do you get when you, every time you turn to the Father? Infinite love. Revelation of infinite love. 
Revelation of infinite love. Revelation of infinite love. Revelation of infinite love. Bam. That's what you're hit with first. Experientially. What do you do every time you turn to the Holy Spirit? The third person of the Trinity. Every time you say, come Holy Spirit. I'm aware of you, Holy Spirit. I love you, Holy Spirit. Every single time, what do you get hit with? Invitation to intimacy. Invitation to koinonia fellowship. Invitation to communion. And I speak for not just myself, Holy Spirit says, but, the, but Jesus the Son and God the Father. Invitation. So what do we get when we turn to the triune God in cumulatively? Bam! Undeserved favor. Hits us first. Bam! Infinite love, revelation of it. Hits us, hits us first. Invitation to intimacy. Those are the three top things he hits us with first before he hits us with any other blessings. And he hits us with lots more. Tons, tons more. But those are the three things he hits us with first. Stand up. Put your hand on your heart. I'm going to speak this blessing over you. As we've considered today, big blessings that build us up. We praise you, Father, for the Bible, the blessing of reading it, listening to it. We praise you for the blessings of brothers and sisters. What supernatural gifts you give us in our brothers and our sisters. And even at the point where we annoy each other, there's spiritual growth that happens in that moment as we stay the course with patience. And God, we praise you for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one essence. Thank you. And right now, I speak this blessing over you, this benediction, the grace and undeserved favor of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen and amen. If you'd like healing prayer, come over on this side. Signs and wonders, follow the preaching of the word. We have a healing team up here. Stick around over on this side if you'd like to stick around for the prophetic ministry. Brendan and I love you. Thank you for being with us today. Have a great day.